Welcome to the Gregory Digout Podcast. I want to I zero in today as we get into the teaching of God's word. I want to zero in. You know, for the last couple of weeks, I've been talking to you about the goodness of God, how the goodness of God explains everything, how the goodness of God surrounds everything, how the goodness of God delivers you and frees you from everything. And we went through the 10 promises or the 10 miracles of God's goodness. But today I want to drill down on number eight. And if you, and if you don't remember, I'm going to mention it. Of course, I'm going to tell you that number eight is that the goodness of God restores everything. And I want to talk about restoration some more today. We visited on this topic two or three weeks ago, and the Lord put it on my heart to drill down a little bit deeper and a little further in this topic of how the goodness of God restores everything. I believe that you're coming into days of restoration. I'm coming into days. We're coming in to days of restoration. God has made promises to restore the word restore to put back in its original condition or to return back to the original owner. Do you know that God made you an owner of the things that he owns? We're stewards over his things, but we're also co-owners. We're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That means we're not just managing what God has given us. We're part owners of God's kingdom and God's inheritance and we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You're a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Man, say that I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. One translation says a co-heir, a fellow heir. It's equal. He's made us equal. Boy, Jesus solves the inequality problem. We're trying to solve it in every way that we can. But Jesus solves it ultimately. And he establishes our equality, not just with each other, but he establishes our equality with him. And our equality with each other is so much easier when we recognize our equality with him. And we have that royalty mindset that we don't let anybody take our crown. We've been we've been crowned with royalty and we're not letting anybody take our crown. Jesus gave it to you, a crown of authority, crown of identity, a crown of royalty. And we need to we need to act like it's ours and refuse to let the devil rob us of that crown and that sense of our equality with Christ, joint heirs with him. But man, I believe and I prophesy over you today is season of restoration is coming to you. The restoration of your peace, the restoration of your finances, the restoration of time, the restoration of help or health, excuse me a restoration of health, a restoration of relationships. You know, I believe God has promised a restoration of all of these things and so much more. But let me just go over these first few with you. God promises to restore peace to us. Has your peace been tampered with by the enemy, tampered with by the pandemic, tampered with, affected or even destroyed, stolen? The peace of God we're talking about, what God gives is the, his peace. Jesus said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. This is not a peace that's depending on something happening or something going your way politically or in this world system. That's not what determines whether you can have peace. We can have the peace of God. And God says 
he will give us his peace. Jesus said, my peace, not just any old peace, my peace I give to you. It's a gift. He restores to us the peace that passes understanding, even says in Jeremiah 33, verse six and verse seven. I want to read these verses to you. Jeremiah 33, verse six and verse seven. Behold, he says, I will bring to you health and healing and I will heal them and I will reveal to them an abundance of peace and truth. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel and rebuild them as they were at first. Notice what he says. He'll bring us peace in verse six, health, healing, an abundance of peace. Boy, there's three things right there. Health, healing, an abundance of peace and truth that makes us free. And he says, and I will restore your fortunes, your fortunes. I will restore your finances, your fortunes, the inheritance stored up for you. He's the God of restoration. Amen. And he wants to restore these things. He promises to restore whatever the enemy stole. It includes finances. Proverbs chapter six, verse 30 and verse 31. Look at what he says in Proverbs chapter six. He says, men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he's hungry. But when he's found, he must repay sevenfold. He must give all the substance of his house. The thief has been found. It's the thief that comes to steal, kill and destroy. It's the thief that has come to disrupt your peace, disrupt your finances, disrupt your home, disrupt your family, disrupt our world. But God is the God of restoration. He heals and he restores. He delivers and he gives back everything. You see, when the thief is found, he has to repay. And I'm going to show you how the thief gets in so that we can have him found, right? Expose the enemy. And so often when it comes to the devil and people, so often we we cover what the devil has done and we expose what people have done, have done. And it needs to be the opposite. We need to we need to uncover and expose what the devil has done, what the enemy has done. We need to cover our brothers and sisters. Love covers a multitude of sins. Nobody, nobody has it all together. Let's let's expose the devil and let's cover each other and let's preserve our unity and let's protect each other and let's honor one another, build one another up, not tear one another down. And God wants to restore. We'll talk about how the thief disrupts those things, but God wants to restore time. I'm believing for a miracle of restoration in your life beginning today. The miracle of restoration. Does it peace that you need him to restore? Is it finances you need him to restore? Is it time? Joel 2:25. God says, I will restore the years. I will restore to you the years. This translation, New American Standard, I will make up to you for the years. The New King James, I will restore to you the years that have been eaten, that have been devoured. We already went over how he'll restore your health. I'm believing for God to restore your health. You've been suffering sickness and disease. And boy, this world is dealing with 
a virus that we have no idea really fully how it all has worked and how it all has affected everything in this world. But God's going to restore it all. We got to believe. Not only are we going to get back to what we had before, but so much more. And God is stripping away for me in my life, stripping away the complicated things and I'm stripping away the complicated things. We're focusing on souls. I told you the other day we need to learn how to take care, not take cares, not be anxious, but take care of our soul, take care of our families, take care of our church and take care of the poor. Those are the things that we need to take care of. To me, that's the simple life. Take care of my soul. We'll talk about that today. Take care of our family. We need to take care of our souls individually. We need to take care of our families. We need to care for our families, our loved ones. We need to believe for every one of our loved ones to be in the kingdom of God. We need to believe for every one of our loved ones to be saved. Every one of our loved ones to be a part of God's family. Every one of our loved ones, he said, you and your whole household shall be saved. Acts chapter 16, verse 32. That's a promise I'm clinging to. That's a promise I'm clinging to for you as well. Our whole household shall be saved. Your whole family that you grew up with, all my relatives I grew up with, I'm believing for all of them to be swept into the kingdom of God. And I believe that's going to happen for you as well. You and your whole household. You and your whole household. Amen. I believe that God wants us to take care of our church, pray for our church, take care of your soul, take care of your family, take care of your church, pray for our church, give to the church, evangelize on behalf of the church, invite people to the church online or on site when those when our services open, invite everybody that you can invite them to salvation, invite them to your church. Pray for the unity of our church. One thing that has marked our church is unity with diversity, that we're not going to let our differences become divisions. That's something that we've learned over these few months as well. Don't let divisions, don't let your differences create divisions. Differences are not divisions. We can have differences, but stay in unity. Respect one another. Don't shame one another. I know we've got big elections coming up. We've got to We've got to put the kingdom of God first, do our part and vote and pray, but put God first, put his kingdom first, put his kingdom above politics, put his kingdom first before how you grew up, your opinion, your thoughts like let's pray, let's believe God, let's trust God to show us the way. But regardless of where you land politically, don't let it divide, because when you let it divide, then you know you've let it have too much power in your life. Boy, that's a word right there. And we need to take care of the poor. And we did that. We started. We've been doing that for many months. We've been doing it for many years, but especially the last several months during the pandemic, we've been taking care of the poor, taking care of the poor more. You can see the information on your screen if you want to help out with our ministry to the poor, our ministry to widows, our ministry to, you know, people all over the world that are impoverished, people in our own community that are that have been impoverished and we're taking care of the poor. Jesus said it's so important what you do for the least of these. You've done it unto me, Jesus said. So but God is restoring peace. Today is your day to restore, see restored peace, restored finances, restored time, restored health, restored relationships. 
The Bible says that in Luke chapter 15, that the prodigal son left his father. But I'll bet his father was believing God. His father had planted good seeds in the soil of his son's heart. And I want to encourage you, never forget, never forget that you planted good seeds in your children's life. You might have planted some bad ones, too. And I'm believing for a crop failure for my for the bad seeds I've sown in my kids lives as they've grown up. I'm believing for a crop harvest of the good seeds. I know there's parents that are concerned about your children. I want you to know that just as the prodigal son came home to the father and the father welcomed him with open arms, you're going to relive what that father experienced in Luke chapter 15. You're going to experience that for your loved ones, for your family members, for people, the, the kids that you've had, grandkids. There's going to be a restoration of relationships. There's going to be a restoration of broken relationships, severed relationships. Distant relationships, so many people that are having difficult times with relationships and really all of these things, peace, finances, time, health, relationships. God wants to restore all of those through the access or through the avenue of your soul. Everything starts in the soul. The soul goes first. The soul prospers first and everything follows that. Beloved, I wish above all things. Third John verse two. Beloved, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. The rest of your life goes as the soul goes. And that's something that's a theme that's in the word of God throughout from Genesis to Revelation. It's a theme in Life Changers Church. We're all about the soul and the health of your soul, because it. Everything flows from there. It affects everything else. Psalm 23, verse one, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, the green pastures. And then he leads me beside still waters. Still waters means you can see your reflection in the water that the waters are not there's not waves and ripples, but they're still. It says King James Version, New King James, many other versions. He leads me beside the still waters. What does that mean? Those still waters means it's like looking into a mirror. The word of God is the, the still waters is the word of God. When we look into the word of God, we see who we really are. We see who we are in Christ. It's only in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. And so when we look into the, the, the still waters of the word of God, it's to be a reflection. We're not looking into the word of God for the do's and don'ts, for all the rules and regulations. We're looking in the word of God for who we are and we're seeing the reflection. Whoa, we look just like Jesus in our spirit and it's working through our soul as we meditate on God's word, as our mind stays on his word, we experience. The transformation of our lives from glory to glory, from sickness to health, from from fear to faith, from anxiety to peace, from feeling angry to feeling and having kindness flowing through our our soul. Yes, God, he says he 
makes me lie down in green pastures, leave me beside the still waters So the still waters is the word of God. But the green pastures is the church. God wants us to rest in our church. He wants us to connect with our church. He wants us to become familiar with our church, to lie down in green pastures. The green pastures is the church that sheep are in the in the green pastures. And God has called us all to be connected to the green pastures of a church family. And boy, that's what we've been learning more than just a church building. We've been learning about being a church family. So we need the word of God and we need the church of God. And look at what happens. He restores my soul. And then he leads me in the paths of righteousness. You're already the righteousness of God in Christ, but you start experiencing the paths of the righteous. You start making the right decisions. You start going down the right paths. You start seeing doors open that no man can close because your soul is being restored. That's when you can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil because your soul's being restored. That's when his that's when you can experience the comfort of God, your rod and your staff, they comfort me when your soul is restored, prepares a table for you. He said he anoints my head with oil, prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies, anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows, runs over goodness and mercy. Follow me. See, we don't need to chase things down that we think are good for us. Those good things are going to chase us down. We just trust God, trust in the blood of Jesus, trust in the finished work of the cross and goodness and mercy are going to follow you all the days of your life. But in order to experience all this restoration, it all starts in our soul, right? And in Mark, Chapter three, verse twenty seven, I'll read this verse to you, I think, from the New King James Bible. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and he will plunder his house. In other words, before we can get the stuff that the enemy, the strong man has stolen, we have to be able to bind the strong man and we have to understand how the enemy operates in getting our stuff and keeping our stuff. And I believe that there are three things that Satan loves to corrupt our soul with. There are three things I want to help you to. To expose the devil and how the devil has. Caused your soul to maybe be unhealthy in some ways. These three things are what Satan loves to corrupt our soul with. Remember, when the soul is sick, everything else follows. And when the soul is restored to health, everything else follows. So there's three things that I think Satan loves to use to corrupt and keep our soul unhealthy. Number one, grievances. Number two, grief. And number three, guilt. They're all G's today. OK, <laughs> we're G'ing up today. Right. But grievances. Grief and guilt, those three things. Satan loves to stir up people to have grievances. Now, what is a grievance? A grievance is bitterness, resentment or anger 
over something or someone that you feel treated you wrong or unfairly. A grievance is bitterness or resentment or anger over something or someone. Even even if it's imagined, it could be real or imagined. In many cases, it's real. In many cases, we imagine it ourselves. But it still creates the same emotion of grievance. I've got a grievance. I've got something against somebody. I've got a complaint against somebody. The Bible says uh, when Job kept his complaint going, he he it brought all sorts of negativity into his life. Boy, if we could just get a hold of that one, that that if we let go of our complaints and start trusting God, that God, what God can do for you is greater than whatever anybody else did to you. What God has done for us is greater than what anyone has done to us. What Jesus has already done for us is greater than what anybody has done to us. And what Jesus has done for us is greater than what anything life has done to us. We have to understand that grievances will sometimes well, grievances will corrupt the health of your soul to hold on to a grievance. Job, chapter five, verse two, in the Good News translation says to worry yourself to death with resentment would be foolish, a senseless thing to do to worry yourself with resentment, he says. It would be foolish and a senseless thing to do. A grievance, you know, in Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 15, it says, looking carefully, looking diligently, looking carefully so that no one comes short of the grace of God or no one falls short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble, I really want to encourage you today. This is a good moment for us to get rid of grievances and bitterness. And I want you to see where this root of bitterness and this root of grievance comes from it. Look, we've all been treated unfairly, some far more unfairly than how I've been treated. You've had maybe far more negative things happen to you than I have. I probably had more negative things happen to some people than some people. But you may have a whole lot more grievance that you've experienced in, or a whole, whole lot more negative things that have and unfair things that have caused you to carry a grievance. But you see, when we carry a grievance, it it causes us to live beneath or less than or inferior to the grace of God. If you just keep this verse on the screen, you'll see he says we fall short of the glory. We fall short of the grace of God and a root of bitterness springs up. And what he's saying there is to fall short. We've learned we've studied these words. I've studied these words with you and shown you the meaning. This word to fall short, it means. To be less than. The word short is actually comes from the same word as inferior. So to fall short, it means to be inferior to the grace of God. You see, God has not. There's no way we can live without God's grace. There's no way we can be everything God created us to be without his grace. His grace is sufficient for us. But when we look at people based on what they've done to us, we're living less than what grace has purchased for us. 
We're living beneath and below what the grace of God has purchased for us. The grace of God has purchased new life for you, a new identity for you, new righteousness for you, new hope, new favor, new blessing, all these things. Jesus on the cross, he became cursed so that his grace could be revealed to you so that his blessing could be yours. And when you are giving more weight to what somebody has done to you or what life has done to you more than what Jesus has done for you, you live a life that is inferior to your grace purchased life, your grace purchased identity, your grace purchased, purchased by the blood of Jesus. Your grace purchased blessing, your grace purchased royalty, your grace purchased sense of of confidence. Grace purchased righteousness to be able to stand before God without guilt, without inferiority, without shame. You see, so a grievance causes us to look at the, what the person did to us rather than to look. He said, look carefully at the grace of God. Look carefully at what Jesus did, because if you focus on what they did, you are going to let a root of bitterness spring up. It's going to cause trouble in your life and it's going to defile many areas of your life and many people in your life. So we got to confront grievance with the grace of God. I've been forgiven much, therefore I'm going to forgive much. I've been loved much by God. I'm going to love much from the love that he gave me, from the forgiveness that he gave me. We, we got to realize there is no breakthrough without the fullness of grace. He said we experience his his fullness of forgiveness and our inheritance by simply receiving the grace of God through the grace of God. The Bible says through the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, we reign in life. If we're not reigning in life, then we're either lacking our awareness of his abundance of grace or lacking awareness of the gift of righteousness. So these three things, the first one is grievances. It taints your soul. It makes your soul unhealthy. But God's grace frees you from your grievance. The goodness of God frees you from your grievance. I believe that all bitterness is the evidence that we are not believing in the goodness of God at that moment. We're not believing in the goodness of God in that season of our life. All the grievances go away when you simply believe in the grace of God, when you don't understand and the goodness of God, when you don't understand what's happening, when you can't figure something out. Knowing that God is good is enough because his goodness explains everything. When you don't understand something, knowing God is good will be enough for you. It will be enough. It will be. I know it sounds so simple, but it will be enough. Every problem in life defeats us when we question the goodness of God or every problem in life remains unsolved when we question and doubt the goodness of God. That's why our pillar verse of Psalm 27, 13, I would have despaired unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Expect the good, expect the good, expect the good, expect the good. It changes everything. You know, um, I want you to see that the next thing that really makes the soul unhealthy is grief. 
Grief is the sense of loss. Grief is the emotion that comes from a sense of loss. And what we have to realize is that God has found us and he provides us with everything that we need. And so even though you may have lost some time and lost what we started with, peace, finances, time, health, relationships, God's going to restore all five of those things in your life. But when you feel like you've lost those things, it creates grief and grief darkens the soul and makes the soul unhealthy until we pour that grief out on the Lord by giving it back to him, because in Isaiah chapter 53, verse four, surely he has borne our griefs and our sorrows he carried. So what we need to do is we take our grief, take our sadness, our sense of loss, our despair, our depression, our discouragement, our sorrow, and we need to give it to him, say, Lord, you bore it. So why should I bear it too? You took this grief. So why should I take it too? and hand it back to Jesus because he na already nailed it to the cross. Lay it at the cross that he nailed it to lay it at the same cross that he nailed it to. Today, this is your day. And thirdly, guilt. These three things Satan uses to make the soul unhealthy guilt. Romans 8, 33. Guilt is that gnawing feeling of regret for what you did or didn't do. But look at what it says in this verse. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? You're God's elect. God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Verse 34 says Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Remember what it means that he intercedes for us. It's not that he's praying, that he's spending his time at God's feet, praying, praying, oh, God, oh, God, help my children, help my children. It's not that type of intercession. It's simply that he's standing in between always. He ever lives to make intercession or he is always the bridge between us and the father, between us and the throne of God. Remember the verse I shared with you in Revelation, Chapter five, verse six in the New King James Bible, it says, and I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne stood a lamb. In the midst of the throne stood a lamb in the midst of the throne stood a lamb. It says he's in the midst of it, which means the word is actually translated in the front of in front of the lamb is in front of. The throne, Jesus is in the front of the throne where God always sees him before he sees us. We can't endure the sight of God until we see him through the lamb and God cannot bear the sight of me until he sees me through Jesus Christ's blood, the lamb. That's why it says in Exodus, Chapter 12, God said, when I see the blood. The judgment will pass over. It's not whether we see the blood It's that when he sees the blood, he sees you through his blood. You know that now he sees you through his blood, not guilty, not guilty. Don't keep beating yourself. Jesus took the beating so you don't have to take it anymore. Stop beating yourself. Jesus took the beating so that you could be free from guilt. Today. Today is your day. Today is the day God's going to restore all this stuff to you. I want you to see something in Romans chapter 12, verse 19, because I want you to believe this with every fiber in your being that God will avenge you. He said, never take your own revenge, beloved, 
but leave room for the wrath of God. He's for it is written. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I want you to understand something when he says, I will avenge you. I will repay. What he's saying is this. I am going to right every wrong. God himself is going to right every wrong. Listen, he is the one that turns things around. He turned the Nile into blood. He turned the sea into dry land. He turned the curse into the blessing. He turned sorrow into joy. He turns grief into dancing. He turned two fish and five loaves into feeding thousands. He turned dead bodies into resurrected bodies. God is your turnaround king. And I want you to hear this. God will right every wrong. He'll right every wrong that the enemy has done to you. We saw that in Joel, chapter two, verse twenty five. God will right every wrong that the enemy has done to you. God will right every wrong that people have done to you. He turned things around for Joseph. His brothers threw him in a pit. God turned it around. He will he will right every wrong. Trust him today. God will right every wrong that time has done to you. God will right every wrong that the enemy has done to you. God will right every wrong that others have done to you. God will right every wrong that time has done to you. God will right every wrong that you have done to you, that I have done to me. How will he do that? Let's close with this. How will God restore these things? How will God right every wrong? Number one, give him time. It says in Ecclesiastes, chapter three, verse 11, he makes all things beautiful in its time. He makes all things beautiful in its time. Give him time. We take care of the trusting. He'll take care of the timing. Give him time. Give him trust. Really, he gave us the ability to believe, so he gave us the ability to trust. So if we're going to trust something, we might as well trust the one who gave us the ability to trust. Trust him. Give him your trust, give him your time, give him your words. Isaiah 42, verse 22 says God will restore these things to us as we declare restore. The reason why they were getting stolen and robbed from is because no one was saying restore. So you can see it in this verse, verse 22. No one says restore. But when we prophesy restoration. Our words start becoming an army on our behalf to restore. We're going to do this in a moment. We're going to do this in a moment. We're going to give God our words. We're going to give the universe our words. Give him time, give him trust, give him words and give him praise. You know, when it comes to giving God praise, you know what? You know what causes God to be praised is when you let go of your opinion and believe him, trust him. When we surrender our thought life to him, that's really giving him praise. That's what worship really is. We're not worshiping God just because we sing. We're worshiping God when we surrender our opinions and we say, I take God at his word. And that's what renews our mind. Romans 12, one and two is talking about presenting our body as a living sacrifice. It's a sacrifice of our opinions. It's not a sacrifice of our physical bodies. It calls it a living sacrifice. So we're not dying. We're not hurting our bodies. He's not talking about that. Offering up our body is on the altar. He's saying, present your body as a living sacrifice. How do you do that? You do that by not being conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's how you do it. 
How does God restore these things? God's God's going to restore. This is our time of God restoring your peace, finances, time, health, relationships. How does he do it? Give him trust. Give him time. Give him your words and give him praise. Now, before we go any further, let's do this right now. Let's do this right now. Say in the name of Jesus, God is the God of restoration. I want you to say this right now. Say God is the God of restoration. God is my restorer. He restores my soul and he restores my peace. He restores my finances. I say to my finances, be restored. I say to my peace, be restored. I say restore to my time. I believe that God restores years. I declare God restores years back to me. He restores time back to me. He restores peace back to me. He restores finances back to me. He restores health back to me. I declare a restoration of health, a restoration of healing in my body, a restoration of healing in my family, a restoration of healing in our church, a restoration of healing in our nation, a restoration of healing in my life. I declare rest, restore. God restores my relationships, restores my family, my household. All of my family members saved. Say that out loud. Say, I declare that God promised my whole household will be saved. All my relatives will be saved. I call them into the kingdom of God right now in Jesus name. Now, now, you know what? Maybe you are one of those relatives <laughs> that hadn't been saved yet. Maybe you are one of those people that somebody else is praying for. And God sent me across your path in this moment to lead you to Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me right now? If you not, if you're not sure that you're going to heaven when you die, look, it's not about holy living. It's about trusting holy, holy, trusting, completely trusting. All that other stuff will catch up with you. The, the right way of living will catch up with the right way of believing. But just accept him right now. Pray this out loud. Say, Heavenly Father, that's it. Just pray that Heavenly Father, I invite Jesus Christ into my life as my Savior and Lord. I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. And from this moment forward, I'm a child of God. From this moment forward, the blood of Jesus has cleansed me from all my sins. Amen. And amen. It's that simple. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to reach me. There's a little link on your screen. Reach me. I want to hear from you. Tell me you prayed that prayer today and I want to send you my book, The Power of a New Life. You can download it anywhere in the world. It's so easy to get. It's on your screen. But take advantage of that. It's absolutely free. It's my gift to you anywhere in the world. And it's the next steps of this relationship with God. And so I want to encourage you and I want to encourage everybody. Let's stay connected. I'll see you at our next service. I can't wait to see you face to face. We'll all meet together one day, both on site, in heaven, in your city, in your nation, wherever it is. We're called to be together. Let's stay together. I love you guys. Have a beautiful rest of your Sunday. Thanks for hearing the word of God, receiving and thanks for staying connected. God bless.